0: Okay, I know a lot of your faces, but I don't know a lot of your faces. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah Blunt. And thank you. Uh, My husband and I pastor New Song Church here in Oklahoma City. And I love it. I absolutely love what we get to do. We love this city. Um, and New Song is responsible for tonight, this this night, uh, that our women's ministry, His, we put this event on. All the volunteers that you saw that were greeting you, smiling, holding up signs, helping you, those were New Song girls. Can we give them a big hand tonight? You guys are amazing. Thank you for being here early and, and just making everybody feel welcomed and loved. Uh, but I love what I get to do, and I love the city. I love the local church. I love seeing people, like, get planted in the local church I love seeing them come to know God I love seeing them find community and find purpose and find freedom like I get to do that that's what we get to do and we absolutely love it Um, my husband and I have been married for almost 17 years 17 years in June we have three wonderful kids this is a family picture Uh, Thank goodness for the church photo booths that we have because that's the only time we get a family picture So this was us at Christmas and then I want to talk to you a little bit about each of my kids for a second Okay, Uh, because I've got the mic and I can do that and I'm a proud mom. All right. This is Gus He's my oldest my firstborn. He's 11. He's almost 12 And he's my buddy. Like, this is my dude. This is my buddy. I love hanging out with him. I love conversation with him. He's, like, growing, so he's eating all the time. Food is always on his mind. Um, He's almost as tall as me. We wear the same size shoe. And uh, I've just loved being his mom. Like, from the time he was a newborn, he was fun as a preschooler. He was fun as a toddler. He was fun in elementary. He's fun as a preteen. And I'm believing he's going to be fun as a teenager. We're going from glory to glory with this kid right and then I've got Bo Bo is my middle and this picture sums up Bo she's eight years old and uh, she loves to create she's very creative she's like her dad in fact they made this together for Valentine's Day it was her Valentine's Day box I love you a latte Uh, if she doesn't get to create every day she gets in a funk so I have to make sure I've got lots of glue sticks and pipe cleaners and things like that around or she'll just get off and then this is another picture of Bo That's her up there on the seat. And this sums Bo up perfectly. She had her first season of basketball this year, and she loves sports. She loves competing. And she was the littlest one out there, but she was the feistiest, and she was the most aggressive, and she would snatch the ball away and throw an elbow. And you could see she was even fun to watch while she was on the bench. Like, she is up there, mad at the ref for a bad call. That's Bo. And then this is Sunny. This is my baby baby. The final installment of the Blunt Children, she is six years old, and she was Mary Poppins for Halloween, and my mom made her that costume, and it suits her well because Sunny June is practically perfect in every way. Seriously, if you know her, she's the nicest person I've ever met in my entire life, always encouraging me, and she is a constant reminder of God's faithfulness to us in our lives. So I'm so thankful for our family And I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to share with you guys tonight. Uh, Back in January, I began to ask God for a word, like, what do you want me to share with the women that are going to be gathered at his night out tonight? And he dropped this phrase in my heart, don't chance it, change it. Don't chance it, change it. If you're taking notes tonight, that's the title of this sermon, don't chance it, change it. Somebody say, don't chance it, it, change it. Okay, I'm going to say that a lot tonight. And every time I say don't chant it, I want you to say, chant. got it. You guys are smart. Okay, so I wouldn't consider myself somebody who likes to leave a lot of things to chance. I am a intense planner, a very intense planner. And I have to be because I lead a very full life. Some may call it a very busy life. I like to call it a full life. Uh, as a mom of three, I have a lot to juggle every week with lunches to pack, uh, homework to help with, tests to study for, uh, agendas to sign, permission slips to make sure I get turned in, field trips to chaperone, class parties to host. I've got dinner to make and laundry to fold and things to put away and basketball on this night and, and tumbling on this night. There's a lot that goes into raising kids And then I'm also pastor, so every week I've got meetings to attend, and I've got vision to cast, and I have more meetings to attend, and I've got coffees to grab with people and counsel to give and sheep to tend to and more meetings to attend, and I've got budgets to look over. So every week is a full week, and every week flies by. Every week goes fast. I've got a lot to do, and I know if I want to get all the important stuff done, that I can't leave anything to chance, the important things. I can't leave it to chance. I know if I leave it to chance, that it's not going to get done. If I leave working out to chance, and just if I get around to it, I'm never going to work out. And and then like a night like tonight, his night out, uh, we've had this event on the calendar for months. I think it was like we were, we were trying to get Rita to come in November of last year, but it didn't work out. So we've, we've, this has been in the works for a month, but I didn't just put the date on the calendar and then say to my amazing, his event team, Afton and Haley, who are amazing. If you see them, give them a hug. They made this all happen. I just have to show up and preach. They do everything else. They're amazing. But I didn't say to them, we'll meet about that if we get the chance. No, we put several meetings on the calendar because this is too important to leave to chance, I even schedule my nothingness. Like I don't leave doing nothing to chance. I schedule it. I need my Sabbath. I need my Friday. I need a day where I don't answer text or emails and I go dark on social media. I schedule my nothingness. I didn't even leave the deliveries of my three children to chance. I scheduled all of their deliveries. And it wasn't C-section. I was dilated. I was full term. The doctor said, you're a great choice, a great candidate to be induced. Would you like to do that? And I said, yes, and amen to that because I knew that it would help me not leave things to chance. I could go in fully rested. I could have time to get my hair washed. Like I only wash my hair about once a week and I was so nervous about maybe the baby coming on day six and then I would just have horrible hair for day seven, eight, nine, ten 10 until the next time I could wash my hair. But being induced, I could wash my hair the night before, I had time to put on makeup, I could make sure that my legs were shaved, right? I I could make sure that my bags were packed, that the grandparents were there to take care of the other kids. So yes, I totally planned the deliveries. When they said, would you like your epidural before contractions begin? I said, yes and amen to that. I am not chancing going through a painful delivery. I don't like to leave things to chance. Some of you think I'm crazy right now. Some of you don't understand, you are spontaneous. And, and that's okay, we need spontaneous people like you. Those of you who are okay with, um, maybe you, you don't know what you're making for dinner tomorrow night, that's okay. You can leave that to chance. Maybe, maybe you're leaving seeing that movie that everybody's talking about, you're gonna leave that to chance. If you get to it, you get to it. That's okay if you leave that to chance. Maybe you're his night out outfit. Some of you have had your outfits planned for like a week and a half. Some of you left it to chance. And you're like, whatever's clean, whatever's ironed, the first thing I see in my closet, that's what I'm gonna wear tonight. And here's the thing, we have proof tonight that it's okay to leave some things to chance because everyone looks amazing, right? So there's some things, some things we can leave to chance. If you're a fly by the seat of the pants kind of person, spontaneous, let me see your hand. Let me see those spontaneous people. Okay, everybody look around, okay? Now if you're a type A, You have three planners in your person you will you have to consult those three planners before you text somebody back. Let me see your hand. Okay. Okay, look around the room. Here's the thing: every laid-back person, they need a type A, they need a planner in their lives. And every planner, they desperately need a spontaneous person in their life to bring some balance to the mix. Josh brings the spontaneity. To our family. But tonight's not about whether you're type A or type B. It's not about your Enneagram number. It's not about your character, your, 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 uh, your, your top five strengths. It's not about your personality at all, really. It's not about what to do when things don't go according to plan. It's not about calendaring. It's not about time management. All good things. All good things. Like my friend Olaf says, all good things. All good things. But that's not what tonight is about. Tonight is about change. And I believe that every person within the sound of my voice, that God has something for you tonight. Those of us who are structured and those of us who could, could care less go through the day leaving little things to chance. It's for all of us because tonight is not about the little things. Tonight's about eternal things. Tonight's about your legacy. Tonight's about your purpose. Tonight's about your marriage. It's about those kids that you're raising. Tonight is about your relationship with God. Tonight is about realizing and understanding and recognizing what a privilege it is that we have to partner with God to see his kingdom come and his will be done. Don't chance it. Change it. Good job. All right, so this is what the Lord's been showing me the last couple weeks. I've been thinking about this and meditating on it. Lord, what are we leaving to chance? And he's shown me that although some of us may never leave to chance, whether or not we're gonna work out on Wednesday or not, we're leaving this kind of thing to chance. We're leaving whether or not we're gonna encounter the living God on a daily basis to chance. We forget that while, although he has promised us his presence, that we are responsible, responsible for the tangibility of it in our lives. Yes, he's always with us. Yes, he never forsakes us. Yes, he is there, but we're responsible for acknowledging that he's there, for chasing after his presence. We're responsible for, for seeking him, for reaching out to in, encounter him every day, to not just go through the motions and hope that we bump into him, We're we're responsible for the tangibility of his presence in our lives. We leave whether or not our hearts are going to heal to chance. We have places in our hearts that are broken. And we just think, well, time heals all wounds, right? Like eventually, eventually my heart is not going to hurt anymore. We put our hearts and we place it in time's hands. When God says, guard your heart above all else. Don't give it to time. Give it to me. I'm the healer of the brokenhearted. We leave the healing of our hearts to chance. We leave our joy to chance, which means we leave our strength to chance because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're not pursuing his face. We're not asking him to fill us supernaturally with his joy. We're hoping that we just might encounter that joy as we go from task to task, never stopping as we scroll from post to post. Maybe we'll have a moment of joy, we're leaving our joy to chance. We leave intimacy, communication with our spouse, with our husbands to chance. We know that our marriage is struggling. We know that our marriage is not at all imaging that the love that Christ has for the church. We can feel the drift. We know what's happening, but we don't do anything about it. We don't do anything to change it, so we're chancing it. We leave connecting with our kids, discipling our kids to chance. Hopefully they're picking it up in church on Sunday. Hopefully, they're going to ask me those questions. Hopefully, we connect. Hopefully, I have their hearts. We leave it to chance. We leave making an actual difference in our world to chance. Some of us have John Mayer syndrome, and we're just waiting, waiting. Do you guys like that? That's why Rita led tonight and not me. We're just waiting and waiting on the world to change. And some of you are using waiting on God as an excuse to move. Wow. I'm waiting on God. You can read in Ezra about people who are using that as an excuse. We don't want to, there there are times when we are called to wait on God like we just did. We waited in his presence. But I think a lot of times we use it as an excuse to keep us from taking any steps towards actual change. And God is looking down saying, I'm not, you're not waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. Heaven is waiting on you. But if you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting for your world to change, guess what? It's not gonna. Don't chance it. it. Change it. Here's the bottom line. We leave our involvement in the plans of God to chance. Somewhere along the line, we've taken the sovereignty of God and we've turned it into an excuse to sit back and just expect for him to move everything into place. We forget that God's sovereign plan, it involves our involvement. That's good, write that down. God's sovereign plan, it involves our involvement. Yes, God is sovereign and he is in control and he has all authority and power over everything that exists. He is sovereign, but he, in his sovereignty, made us participants. We get to partner with him to see his kingdom come, to see his will be done. He made us participants in the divine plans and his divine plans. But in order to be participants, that means we have to participate But here's the thing, I see a a lack of participation. I see apathy. I see wives and sisters and mothers and daughters and friends leaving the most valuable things to chance. Don't chance it, change it. Tonight, I want you to get quiet for just a moment. We're just gonna take like 20 seconds. We're gonna just pray a search me God prayer. We're going to ask him to search our hearts and we're going to ask him to reveal to us anything eternal, anything important that we're leaving to chance, that we're not participating, that we're partnering with him to see the change. And I know he has some things that he wants to stir. I was so stirred as I prepared this message. I know there's some things that he wants to stir up in you. So we're going to pray. We're going to get quiet. We're going to ask him to search our hearts. He's going to show you a couple of things and then you can filter Uh, the rest of this message through those things so that you can apply what you hear tonight. So you can walk away and this is actually applicable to you. So if you would, bow your heads, close your eyes, and just just inside, in your head, in your thoughts, just tell God, search my heart, show me what I'm leaving to chance. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you see us, that you know the secrets of our heart. Reveal the secrets of our heart tonight. God, we can't know our own hearts, but you know our hearts. You know what we're leaving to chance. Thank you for revealing it. Help us, Lord, as we listen to the rest of this message, as we we listen for your voice. God, help us to know how to change it. Help us to see how we can partner with you to bring about change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I've got two thoughts for you tonight to chew on, all right, about how we can facilitate change. There's lots of ways that we can partner with God to facilitate change, but these are the two that he just stirred up really strong in me. Okay, so the first one is we facilitate change with our words. Facilitate change with our words. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Go there on your phones. If you don't have your phone or your Bible, don't worry. It will be on the screens for you. Genesis 17. And uh, when we get to Genesis 17, we find that Abram has been waiting 25 years. Do I have any 25-year-olds in here tonight? Okay, as long as Afton Sky has been alive, that's how long Abram has been waiting for God to fulfill the promise that he made to him that he would be the father of many nations. 25 years, that's a long time. When we get to Genesis chapter 17, Abram is 99 years old that's old. That's really old. He's 99. Okay. And this is, this is where we start in Genesis 17. God appears to him. Now remember, this is a real guy. Like this really happened. God appears to him and says in verse two, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Now, Abraham, because he's real and this is God and this is really happening, he falls to his knees. I imagine that's what a lot of us would do. If God appeared, we would just fall to our knees. He falls down on his face and God continues talking. He says, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. Somebody say, change it. I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. God didn't chance it. He literally changed it. He changed Abram's name, and then a few verses later, he changed his wife's name. Verse 15 through 16, then God said to Abraham, he already started using the new name, then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will become or be among her descendants. God didn't chance it He changed it, he changed it with his words. Now I wanna take a look real quick at the significance behind these name changes. okay? Abram meant father of many. Abraham was an upgrade. It meant father of many nations. Okay, Sarai meant my lady or my princess, but Sarah, the upgraded version, meant the princess of a multitude. Now Abraham knew exactly what these changes signified. He knew exactly what they meant. Now, look how Abraham responded. Genesis 17, 17. LOL, LOL, LOL. Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100? How can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? And then God said, I'm not playing, Abraham this is for real. He said, for real though, Abraham, Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. Now I imagine for Abraham that it was awkward enough to be called Abram, father of many when he was father of none. But now this gets really awkward because remember, this is a real man, and now he has to tell people, actually, I go by Abraham now, father of many nations. God upgraded my name. Imagine the looks he got when he went to the Social Security Administration office, filled out the paperwork and said, I'm changing my name. Don't call me Abraham, or don't call me Abram, I am Abraham now. I imagine he had some pity from the community, some, oh, bless his hearts, like he's. He's never gonna come to terms with the fact that it's just not in the cards for him. He's 99, he's senile. He is now changing his name, saying that God wants him to call himself Abraham and his wife, Sarah, you know that that was awkward. And I'm sure it was also hard to get used to, even for him. Okay, have you ever known somebody who wants to change their name all of a sudden? (laughs) I've known two people like this. Uh, One of them, a friend that I grew up with at church, his name was Jeremy. Jeremy. I've called him Jeremy for years and years and years and years and all of a sudden he wants to go by his middle name, Curtis. It didn't stick because how many know it's hard to call somebody Curtis when you've been calling him Jeremy for like 20 years. It just didn't work. I'm sure it was the same for Sarah, that it was hard for her to call Abram, Abraham because she'd been calling him Abram for so long. I imagine she had to catch herself often. She'd be like, Abram, I mean, Abraham, will you go check the mail? Abram, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm gonna get this right. Abraham, put a coin in the jar. I said, I'm gonna keep putting a coin in there until I get it right. Abraham, Abraham, will you please go walk the camels? Like, I'm sure it took some getting used to. Abram had been called Abraham for 90, or Abraham had been called Abram for 99 years. And I'm sure it was hard for Abraham to call Sarai, Sarah, because force of habit. That's what he would always called her. But this is what God wanted. He wanted them to call things that be not as though they were. This is our God. Our God is a God who calls things that be not as though they were. Paul writes about this in Romans 4 17 through 18. This is so good. Lean in. Abraham was first named father and then became a father. First and then. First named, then became. First named, then became. First named, then became. became. First named, then became. Not the other way around. God didn't wait for him to have a son. He, he called him father first. First named, and then became a father. Because he dared to trust. Anybody want to dare to trust that God can do what only he can do? Raise the dead to life. And with a word, Abraham, Sarah with a word, with his word, make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to not live on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. This is why Abraham is the father of our faith, because he modeled such great faith for us. And we see in just a couple of verses how faith works. We have to first fully embrace what God has named us in his word and then we become it. We first... He, what he first named us, we embrace. Then we become first named, then became. We embrace the exceeding and great and precious promises that we find in the word, in his word. We embrace those. We hold fast to those. That means that we fasten down on the promises. We fasten down on scripture so that it cannot slip between our fingers. We hold on to it with a death grip and we dare to trust that God can do what only he can do. And then we believe. That he can, with a word, make something out of nothing. We believe that he can, with his word, Abraham, Sarah, victorious, freed, daughter. I kept hearing that tonight as we worship daughter, 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 first named daughter. Tonight you become a daughter. We believe that with a word he can make something out of nothing. We believe That life and death are in the power of our tongues. So we start saying what he says about us in his word. We get our words to line up with his words. We don't base our lives on what we see that we can't do, we base our lives on what God says he will do. This is how we actively participate in God's sovereign plans. Abraham and Sarah didn't leave their calling to chance, they were active. They knew they had to start voicing God's plan before they saw it come to pass. No matter what the people at the Social Security Administration office thought. You want to see change in your marriage. Quit calling it dead. Start calling it resurrected. You want to see change in your heart. Quit calling it broken and start calling it healed. You want to see change in your kids' Quit calling them problems and burdens and brats and start calling them gifts because that's what God calls them. First name them gifts, then they become gifts. You wanna see change in your joy? Start calling or stop calling yourself depressed, stressed, start calling yourself joyful. Don't chance it, change it. Change Change your dialogue, voice God's word. There's something powerful when when we give God's word a voice. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes when we hear the word of God. And I think there's something extra special about it. When we hear the word of God coming out of our mouth, our faith begins to grow and faith is the currency of heaven. So you let God's word have a voice through you. And then you see that your faith begins to rise. Your faith begins to rise and then your faith becomes your eyes. Listen, this isn't about manipulating scripture this isn't about name it, claim it so you can get some selfish desire of your heart. That's not what this is about. This is understanding God's will. This is loving God's word. This is loving what he's named you so that you can become it. This is about bringing God's kingdom to come and his earth or his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's a question for you tonight. What is not in your life right now that God has promised you? Because he calls things that be not as though they are what is not in your life right now what's the not maybe you're dealing with insomnia you are not sleeping sleep is not in your life right now did you know that god cares about that did you know that he's called you his beloved and the word says he gives his beloved sleep it says that he's your shepherd or yeah that he's your shepherd that you're his sheep that he causes you to lie down He causes you to lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. He cares about your rest. So don't wait. Be like Abraham and Sarah. First named father, then became father. First named mother, then became mother. First named sound sleeper, then became sound sleeper. What is not in your life right now? God changed several names throughout scripture. He changed Jacob to Israel he changed Saul to Paul he changed Simon to Peter what's he asking you to rename tonight don't chance it change it it. if you've got a promise from God in his word you can begin to call those things that are not as though they were some of you are having that same gut reaction as Abraham you're like lol 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 (laughs) and God says no I'm for real my word is for real what I've said about you the promises that I've made towards you I'm for real about that I mean it the Sun is coming nations are coming for real God says don't laugh it off this is for real this is what I have for you and listen this may be hard at first just like it was hard for Abraham to get used to calling himself Abraham or Abram to get used to calling himself Abraham This is hard, just like I'm sure it was hard for Sarai to start calling herself Sarah. Because here's the thing, you've been calling it as you see it for years now. Not 99 years long. It's not not like Abram, who'd been Abram for 99 years. But it's a long time that you've been calling things as you see it. And so it's going to be a hard thing at first for you to break. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you catch it and to help you correct it. To have a little jar where you put a coin in there every time that you're saying something that God doesn't say about you. Oh, God could never use someone like me. I mean, I am God's handiwork. And I am am created to do good things, good works in Christ Jesus. I'm a victim of, no, I am victorious through Christ Jesus. I'll never have children. No. I am a joyful mother of children. He will give me the desires of my heart. Catch yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you catch it and correct it. Think about this. What if Abraham and Sarah decided to chance it? What if they decided to say, God is sovereign. He is so sovereign. And if he wants this to happen, then we can just sit back and expect for all the pieces to move into place. That's not what they did. They knew he was sovereign, but they also knew that they had a part to play. They had to trust. They had to get their words to line up with his words. Now, have you ever thought about this? They had to have sex at 99 and 90 years old. (laughs) They had to go there because this was not an immaculate conception. They had a part to play in God's sovereign plans and so do you. Partner with the Holy Spirit. Call into being the change that God has promised you in his word don't chance it. it. And then number two, we facilitate change through prayer. How's your prayer life? Like really, how's your prayer life? Here's a good gauge. Did you pray today before you got here? Like just on this regular Thursday, did you start your day in conversation with God? Did you pray throughout your day? How's your prayer life? I think this is becoming a lost art. I think that powerful praying women of God are an endangered species. I had a praying grandma. I'm sure a lot of you had a praying grandmas. But I worry that our grandkids, they're not going to have that praying grandma. Because our grandmas didn't have iPhones. They didn't have social media. They didn't have things to distract them all day long. So they had time to get after it to pray over us. And I know, I know that I'm still seeing the fruit of my grandma's prayers as she prayed because those prayers didn't evaporate. Every time she prayed, they didn't just evaporate, but they accumulate. And I'm still seeing the fruit of the prayers that my mom and my grandma prayed for me. You, I know where you're at. Maybe you didn't have a praying mom or a grandma, but somebody was praying for you, an aunt, a sister, a teacher, somebody was praying for you and you're seeing that fruit. I wanna I wanna show you something, a really amazing passage of scripture in James 5, verse 17 through 18. Go ahead and flip over there, or you can turn with me, or you can look with me on the screen. James 5, 17 through 18. Elijah, I love Elijah, he was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. And he prayed intensely for it not to rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain and the land produced its crops as usual. Okay, I love every single thing about this text. I love that the Holy Spirit saw, saw it fit that we knew that Elijah was no superhero. He wasn't a superhero. It tells us right here that he had the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings that I have. Last time I was on this stage, I talked about how a lie that we are believing that people are pushing on us is that we're enough. You're enough. You're enough. No, I'm not. I am not enough. And the moment I start to believe that, it's the moment I start to pull away from God and say, I got this. I'm not enough. I'm like Elijah. I'm not a superhero. I have limitations and I have shortcomings. But we see that even imperfect people people that don't wear capes, that God can still use them, that their prayers can still make a difference. The other thing that I love about this text is that it tells us how Elijah prayed. He prayed intensely. I like intense people. Elijah, he prayed intensely. Just one verse before this, we read about how the effectual effectual prayer, what is it? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much, but what does that mean? What does it mean to pray intensely, to pray fervently? Well, I think sometimes to understand what something's, something means, I like to find out what it doesn't mean. So let's talk about what intense prayer is not. Intense prayer is not indifferent. Every time I hear that, indifferent, I think of that Taylor Swift song where she's like, it is isn't love, it is isn't hate, it's just indifference. You know that song? It isn't love, it is isn't hate, it's just indifference. That's what indifference is. It's not love and it's not hate. But let me tell you, prayer is love. Prayer is a love for God's word. It's a love for his will. It's a love for the people in your lives. Prayer is love and prayer is also hate. Prayer is hating the plans of the enemy and doing whatever you can to see those plans thwarted. Prayer is love and prayer is hate, intense prayer. Intense prayer is also not cold. It's not lifeless as if there were no power in it. I think a lot of times that's how we're praying, indifferent, cold, lifeless. Here's what intense prayer is. It's sincere. It's honest. It's hearty. Like, it's hearty. It's heartfelt. It's got some substance to it. It's born out of intense conviction, and it's persevering. Intense prayer is sincere. When's the last time you are just honest with God? When's the last time you prayed a prayer and you were just like, man, There's some substance there. This is my heart pouring out to God and it's persevering. Elijah's intense prayer brought about about a drought that lasted for three years and six months and then he needed it to rain again. And in 1 Kings 18, you can read about how he prayed and no rain. And he prayed again and no rain, 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 and he prayed again and finally there was a cloud. Intense prayer is persevering. He didn't give up. Some of us give up for like two and a half minutes. We get distracted. Nothing feels like, and it doesn't feel like anything's happening. Nothing's shifting, we give up. Intense prayer is persevering. Prayer changes things. It does. Jesus said that there are some things that only prayer can change. You need to hear this tonight. There are some things that only prayer can change. Mark 9:29 the dis- disciples come to Jesus and they say, "Why couldn't we drive out that demon?" And Jesus said, "This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting." In other words, this situation is not changing except by prayer. And fasting. There are some things in your life that God's saying, this isn't changing except by prayer and by fasting. If prayer didn't change things, then why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus instruct us to participate in it? Yes, God is unchanging, and yes, God is sovereign, but part of His sovereignty involves our involvement. We are participants in the divine plans of God, meaning we have to participate. And prayer is a major part of our participation. Listen, if you're not praying about it, you're chancing it. You want to connect with your teenager. They feel distant. You're griping about it, complaining to your small group about it. But what if this is one of those things that can only be changed by prayer? We've got to pray for it. If you want to encounter God every day, I just don't feel his presence. And I I feel it at church on Sundays. Are you praying and asking God? Because his word says that if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. God, I want your presence with me today. I want to encounter you today. You want a better husband? Start praying for the one that you currently have. God, change his heart. Create in him a new heart. Don't just gripe about it. Complain about it. Pray about it. Participate in prayer. Don't chance it. That was really weak. Don't chance it. Your prayer can change the course of history. You have a prayer down inside that can make a difference. Do you believe that? I have a serious question for you tonight. How different would your life look if you spent as much time praying as you did scrolling that hopeless little screen in your pocket? In 2012, daily time spent on social networks like Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, that was, that, uh, we used about 90 minutes of, a day. It's continued to climb every year. And last year, it's estimated, 2019, that people spent 153 minutes a day just on social media. That's over two hours every single day. That means that if you give a child a phone at 10 years old, which you shouldn't, but if you do, and you give them access to social media, which you shouldn't, but if you do, and these trends continue to climb, if that child lives to be 72 years old, he will have spent a decade of his life on social media, tapping, scrolling, swiping, 3,650 days wasted on social media, a decade, 10 years of our lives looking at a screen, a hopeless little screen. I I think it's time to put some boundaries and limitations in place. It really is. Like we all want our husbands to have covenant eyes and all these things on their phone to make sure that they're, they're staying pure. But what about us? What accountability do you have? You know, iPhones have this great little feature where you can actually limit your screen time. To where if you want to say, you know what, I want to spend about 15 minutes on Instagram a day. When you hit that minute, it kicks you off and you have to put in a password. And let me just give you a little, a little pro tip here. Don't make your own password. <laughs> Cause if you do, you'll go back in. Cause I've done it a million times this week. As I was preparing this message, I was like, okay, I'm not spending a decade of my life on social media. Put a password on my phone, babe. And, and I, when I'm out, I'm out. Unless you put the password in for me. Listen, This isn't about breaking a social media habit. Some of you aren't even on social media. It's not about breaking a social media habit. This is about starting a prayer habit. This is about taking back idle time, and to use that time to pray difference-making prayers. This is so our kids, this is so our grandkids can look at their lives and they can say, I can see God's hand here, and I can see God's hand there, and I can see God's hand everywhere, and I attribute that to the prayers of my mom, to the prayers of my grandma, because their prayers didn't evaporate, they accumulated, and they're still bearing fruit in my life. This is to ensure that we're being active participants in the plans of God. This is about stewarding well the privilege that we've been given, to partner with God, to see His kingdom come and His will be done. If you would, stand to your feet. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you wanna stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.